hello, hello, and welcome to your favorite podcast, Digital Digital Get Down. It's Bennett. And Heather. And this is episode 106. It feels like we just podcasted last week. Did we? I can't recollect. But we're getting back into a groove. I, uh... Something about Lent just has us going. (laughs) Just losing count. 106 (laughs) just sounds like too many. We should just Mm. start over. Mm. Um... We What's new, girlfriend? Couple things to talk about today. I just realized I'm looking at my notes and I just have blanks under both good news <laughs> and bad news. So I think I actually, I think we actually have three main topics today. So I think we're I'm gonna, gonna do all three. Well, I'm not sure you know. No, not the three you think. So I'm, I'm gonna, thinking we had four. I'm gonna right. I'm doing three out of four. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna rush us through our preamble here. Bo Burnham. Is the third one? Yeah. Okay. Um. What's your fantasy baseball outlook look like right now, babe? Um, I baseball is just background noise for me. Mm-hmm. Like the baseball Zen commercials that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, that they Shout out T-Mobile, this year. free MLB TV. The one great perk of having you as a carrier. We're gonna lose it if we just switch carriers switch. next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the baseball Zen background um, like commercials that they have as space fillers. Uh, mostly because that's what most of baseball is for me. I don't have the, like, uh, attention span anymore. Yeah, into the analytics. No. Anytime they talk, it makes me mad. Anything about new, new baseball. Anything about Anytime she hears the word new in any context during a broadcast. How many times last year the commercials. Changing the game. And the announcers. Okay, we gotta do our bit about the the pitch call thing, though. We've been doing it for people all week. So... We're, I didn't watch spring training, so I'm just, you know, getting warmed up in the first, you know, opening day, first series of the season. And they start, like, zooming in on the catcher's knee. And I'm like, what is so fascinating about this catcher's knee? Mm-hmm. And he's, like, diddling himself down do, there. Do, 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 yeah. yeah. And they're like, this is uh, pitch calm or whatever it's called. I'm like, what? I thought they were talking about something they were like some technology that they were talking about using in 10 years mm-hmm. but the catcher either on his wrist or on his knee blindly presses a button and it talks through the pitcher and infield and one outfielder's hat did they have to learn braille to, to do that? tell them what pitch is coming and so what do you think it sounds like how sensual do you think the voice is my biggest question is whether or not this is a generic Siri voice, mm-hmm. or did they have each catcher go in and be like, slider, two-seam fastball. And I just like could picture the SNL sketch of right. of the, the recording session. The, the outtakes. Where they're, like, yeah. where they're like, make it sexier. And it's like, fastball. And it's like, <laughs> make it less sexy. Okay, fastball. No, a little <laughs> sexier than that. Knuckle me. I mean, knuckle me. Oh, dear. Uh, Call us Lorne. Terrible name. Lorne Michaels. Um, I think I'd be really good at that. Yeah. Just, like, giving SNL pitches. Like, not actually writing. No pun intended. Yes. Didn't. (laughs) Giving them ideas. Like, not actually writing the sketches. But just, like, like submitting a a few ideas every week. Go do this. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a job that I could do? Um, not at your age, I don't think. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. Um, Anything else to I'm catch me up on? I was going to say that we started watching Our Flag Means Death. Mm-hmm. We you... started a TV show together. We did. Yeah. Um, and we're actually very close. We're going to talk about New Girl next time. 
because I swear I will not start season five, which is when Zoe goes on uh, maternity leave and they bring in the other chick, and so we're gonna stop. But anyways, I don't even recall that, so mm. that must mean it's bad. Okay. We're gonna miss the alley stuff with Winston then, though. Yeah, that's fine. It's pretty cute. You want to keep going? I don't think so. No, I think we should I stop. Think Same with the office. There were good episodes after that. Keeps talking about severance, so I think we should start that. That's, That's not a, a different funny show. tone than New Girl. I'm <laughs> just saying we like we have some other shows. For a while, right. we were watching New Girl because we had like zero interest in any other shows. Mm-hmm. Our flag means death is silly and campy, mm-hmm. and severance I think is kind of serious. I don't really know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then Dickinson, we still have that you want to go back to, yep. babe. So those are all half-hour shows, I think. So okay, we're neither of us have really been in the mood for any dramas. No. So eh, I've don't been know about scratching that. your itch with that terrible fantasy show. Seems watch two of them. So yeah. I think I'll keep watching them when I'm in the mood for a longer show. Witcher is the one we have. We when can we go do Witcher. A full. That's a going to your Witcher. Okay. Um, so we started that. So we'll we'll pick Will. We'll get to that at some point in the future, season one. Sure. Of the pirates. Except everyone's already finished it and like rewatching it, and you and I rewatching watch oh. TV shows slowly together yeah. because we don't have a ton of time together. I tried out the game Rocket League on PS PS4 today, which I thought I feel like there's like a passionate fan base to the same degree almost of like Fortnite and those games. Mm. But Rocket League, from what I can tell, is just soccer with cars? How many 12-year-olds cussed you out? I still can't tell if that first match I played was was with noobs or not. Yeah, that teabag didn't look good, babe. It doesn't taste good either. It looked brown. And like it's like it wasn't supposed to be brown. I'm not sure you should be drinking that. Try Let me it. smell it. No, the smell is fine. You need to Oh, no, it. that smells rancid to me. Oh, God. Smell right. that, smell, that doesn't smell right. You don't think I should drink it? Oh, no. I already had two sips. Am I going to die? Oh, God. This is a solo podcast from now on. That I was Natural, gonna, fair, and delicious. I was going to tell you that that didn't look right when I put that. First drink. sip didn't taste right. Did you drink real wine tonight, or was it your your uh, dollar store wine? Still in the dollar store okay, wine. Got yeah. one bottle Heather found left. a... Uh, a mail-away program from, like, the, the, the reject church wine. It... Seemed a little bit less classy than the other ones I've tried, mm-hmm. but it's definitely like three steps down. Yeah. Nobody on the internet is talking enough about this because I googled it extensively before no I ordered it. No reviews or anything. Everyone just said, "Man, it's not great." Huh. Like nothing like horrible. This rosé is nearly undrinkable. I don't even like rosé, and that's probably mm-hmm. part of the problem. But it's bad. How's your tea? It doesn't taste like that. Um, mine is cranberry tea from three years ago so, so it I, does kind of taste like that yeah i think so not our best beverage hour <sighs> i wonder when we used to like read off the names of the bottles of the yeah. wine that we had and stuff and They're now we're tipsy. like don't drink this one it's garbage yeah. um i have to say my good news mm-hmm. is that we got some really nice boxes for free oh god yeah that's where we're at mm. and adulthood is like this is a nice cardboard box man you yeah you snatched up those boxes um and that I sold some stuff on Facebook Marketplace, finally. Man. 20 bucks in my Venmo. Your face just lights up when that happens. Porch pickup, man. Oh, it gets me going. Um, my bad news yeah. is... Supreme Court, terrible Republicans, anything you want to hit on? Woman arrested for having her own abortion? 
You don't have it in you tonight? No rants? No. Okay. I'll let you know if I think of anything. Okay. I, it's hard to just like think box of Box elder bugs? Do you want to do, do a minute on box elder bugs? I don't. I just want them all to die. Like, I don't think I've ever before wanted a species to be eradicated, like to go extinct. And Ticks box would elder, be mine, but yeah. Box elder bugs, mm-hmm. I would like to go extinct. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm i sorry if that causes an ecological collapse, mm-hmm. but... Um, Trees would appreciate it. Probably. My bad news is not really news, but mm-hmm. I was I'm finally trying to finish breeding sweetgrass. I read like... You know, seven eighths of it in yeah. like a month and then it was right before we got covid back when i was yeah i was going to the gym you were reading every night i went to the gym so it's my fault it's true yeah it's true i was reading my i was planning my nonfiction around the nights that you would be gone mm-hmm. uh and then i would read for like 40 minutes that's true it is your fault yeah. anyway so i haven't gotten in a good routine to pick it back up uh, and I'm t- finally trying to finish it. And the last chapter was so depressing. It was about mm. this beautiful lake in upstate New York, Lake Onondaga. And about how all these different factories just used it as like a super dumping fun ground. dumping ground. Yeah. Super fun, not super fun. Mm. And uh, about just, it was like a, the most sacred site for some of the tribes, like in the whole country. And they just like use it as a dumping ground, and it's like never been the same. They're trying to do some restoration, and it was meant to be some hopeful notes about restoration. But I just don't understand like the point that the author was making, and that I also agree with is I don't understand. Like, is like I think, what am I trying to say? I think we look back at history sometimes and say, oh well, they didn't know. Yep. Bullshit bullshit every human being who has ever lived near water should have an instinct of like i'm not gonna dump crap into this water like even if you don't understand like organic chemistry to the level that we understand it like in this day and age like you should still know that it's bad to dump shit in a waterway and i I just you just you can't uh, what's really getting to me lately is that you both can't trust any person or group of people and you can't definitely can't trust any corporation i saw a uh like i forget what subreddit it is but it's like no stupid questions or something and it it was like someone asking why does communism not work in reality and the answer was you have to have someone who leads the country and you can't trust a single human to do that and not put himself or herself first get corrupted with power um yeah, it was uh, in the book. The author basically explained it away as like a little bit of like the bystander effect, if you will, where it's like, well, it's not my fault. Someone else t- told me to push this button, and it's not my yeah. fault because someone else told me to build this pipe, and well, it's not my fault because someone else was telling me we need to dump this somewhere, right. and they all just point fingers, and nobody takes any like individual responsibility. Right. I'm guilty for it. of it when we talk about anti-racism and that stuff i say i have such limited power in what i can do i can influence one hiring decision a year maybe and so i feel like i'm just uh an unintentional part of the system but that's not a good enough excuse yeah and it's the same thing for everything is it's really easy to say well um it's just easier for me to get single size snacks chip you just put in that yeah i just it's like my waistband okay. um yeah, so it was just very disheartening to hear about how, it, like, a very it was like a microcosm of mm-hmm. the greater issue of waste and pollution and things was like what happened to this lake and, uh, it just really depressed me. And there was supposed to be the hopeful bits about restoration and stuff, but mostly I just found it really depressing. That's a shame. 
my good news, bad news, nothing I can share about my writing career, but I feel like either 2022 is going to be like my best writing career ever, my best career year ever, or my worst one. Either everything is going to click or nothing's going to work. I think you're being a bit dramatic. Hmm. I think it's possible that one of your projects could do really well and the other one could stall or vice mm-hmm. versa. Um, so yeah, you got some good news and bad news recently about some of your writing projects. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can share more soon about at least one of them. We'll see. They're both amazing in my eyes. Oh, babe. babe. You're the editor for both, so that's why you're... That's true. Um, I think we should do a quick advertisement and a quick shout-out. I forget who was who it was who kind of like... Back, backhanded complimented us on Twitter, Book Digits. Yes. Um, was a, gave a scathing review of the Storygraph's monetization uh, system, <laughs> and and said Book Digits ain't nearly perfect or something to that effect. But at least they don't try to nickel and dime you for features that <laughs> that don't actually cost any money. Yes. Um. So yeah, Storygraph. Uh, I don't, have we raked them through the mud too much on this podcast? We're not really. No, I like as we've said, they're they're a little bit of. Uh, there's definitely a, a decent chunk of overlap with our audience, but mm-hmm. they're aiming for like the real, true, like bookstagrammy book club people, Correct. where they have like the challenges and buddy read yeah. fil- features and that kind of stuff, which has never right. been our um, our cup of tea, <laughs> <laughs> cup of lemon piss. Um, But, and also, like, as you've said before, we respect someone trying to make a competitor to Goodreads. That's what I was going to say. Anti-monopolization, right? right? They have VC money, which I think is why they have to show a profitable thing. Fortunately, no one's ever invested in me. So I have no one to pay back at all. Um, I pay about $12 a month for the hosting. So I would love it if someone could give me $144 a year so that I could call it a non-profit, non-debt. $12 give us $12 a month, man. Um, right, we just need like one of those Sarah McLachlan <laughs> for one dollar a day. Just you and I looking sad. Um, That's yeah. one dollar a day per month. That was this a, that person, weird SNL um, I can't pronounce her name. Yeah, thank you. Um, basically, said that they immediately monetized, which they did very quickly. A story right. graph very quickly monetized, but the things that they monetized are having like m- recommend more than a couple yeah. examples and that the you support one yeah that if you pay for their subscription or whatever you uh get your support tickets prioritized so they'll help you first if you pay them yeah which is just stupid yeah really it's just almost it's almost worse the way they laid it out than they should just say be a subscriber or like be a patreon or whatever one of those are and it's just like be a you know, be a supporter of the arts, like you know or how an people alpha say. Alpha beta tester, kind of. Right, and it does say you get access to earlier features and you get to do that stuff. So I think some of it's fine, but yeah, as a new user, I would probably be a little bit annoyed by that. Yeah, and yeah, their comment was book digits isn't perfect, but they don't have a hierarchy. You can donate to the site. They have a mm-hmm. tasteful advertising in the form of featured books <laughs> so to help authors and readers. They think all the books on our front page are actually and, making us money. And um. They said even banner site ads, like, they don't mind because they're not, you know, making the user pay. We tried those. I made about a dollar after a year, so we took those out as well. Anyways, thank you for supporting Book Digits in any way that you can. 
uh, it remains a hobby site, which I think, just like this podcast, is one of the wisest decisions I made because are we in a pact that we will never have side hustles not, for the sake of the hustle? Tr- not true side hustles. Yeah. We can have creative side hustles, right. but not um, hustles just that you depend on. To, yeah. No shade to anyone who needs those side hustles. Oh, definitely. But the whole hustle culture thing is just so problematic. Yeah, maybe of let capital- me rephrase. Capitalism. Don't don't force our hobbies to become side hustles. That's yes. really what I'm getting at. Yes. Um, I have no hobbies, so it's not a problem for me. Poof. You made a great scarf that turned into a one time neck patch for our son. <laughs> um, I knew it wasn't gonna be long enough. Um, okay, are we gonna talk about? the book first or are we can talk about i think we should talk about the movie first but i'm not sure which movie you think we're talking about so we're gonna talk we're about saying three what okay. movie yeah three two, two one tick, the tick, hating game <laughs> no there's a there i think there are great parallels between tick tick boom and bo burnham so that. that's what i decided the oh, other bo night burnham. yeah are we talking about the mo- the book too yeah, it's a triple feature okay jeez so do you I don't want know to talk about for that before my bedtime. We're gonna have we to keep do. it on a tight. Do we want to talk 30. about tick tick boom first or intro it with bone burn up? Okay. It's a little bit more of an intro than a I think so. Feature. So we watched Inside. Um Elizabeth, friend of the show. Yeah. Probably best friend of the show. Slash guest. I think that's fair. You got some family who are dedicated listeners as well. That's true. They've sent in more mailbags than best Elizabeth. Family of the show. Oh, Two different I see what categories. You did there. I don't know about, but Emily, though, is a very good. Yeah, she's won prizes. Mm. One of the best friends of the show, Elizabeth, <laughs> said that I, when I went to and stayed with her and we filmed our, or recorded our 100th episode-ish mm-hmm. extravaganza, um, she said, did you watch the Bo Burnham special yet? And I said, eh, not really. I'm never like a, not like a huge fan of his. Yeah. And she was like, you really should watch it. He captures, like, the millennial like on we of the pandemic very well right um i was and trying just, to figure like, out exactly when experience. it came out because i feel like we did watch it like nine months too late to really appreciate it like i would say even just like three months too late yeah i feel like if we had watched it like in january yeah but i, I agree with you that i think um I don't know. With all the surges and everything, and people getting COVID again, it's yeah. Came out almost exact. Uh, came out on my birthday last year, so it's almost a year old. So yeah, so, I think yeah. if we had watched it last year, it may have resonated like twenty five percent more. For sure. Me. That's one thought. Um, I definitely think it captured like the mental health struggles of our age group in the pandemic pretty well. I'm gonna have to cut you off, and we're gonna have to get to the the root of it i think to start with how okay. honest do you think it was how truthful do you think it was like was it 52 percent? i think like I think more than right. half but not like uh i think he kept in a lot of very honest stuff like i think all of the times when he was like crying and pulling his hair out and throwing stuff and swearing i think most of those were probably genuine but i think he probably manipulated some of the shots and the storyline and the timeline to make it work as a cohesive story yeah um you disagree i agree with most of what you said i i think he's a much better actor than maybe even people realize so i mean i don't think it was just random chance that like it captured his his like freakouts in like a 
a masterful way. I guess I was saying that, like, the times that he was actually, like, that he was, like, you know, crying and upset and things. Yeah. I think he intentionally turned the camera on because he was in a yeah. upset mood. But I think, like, the emotions were genuine. I don't think he, like, wrote a script of, like, right. cry here. Yeah. No, that's um, fair. But I do think that he certainly like manipulated the circumstances like if he knew he was upset and normally would have like stopped trying to create i think he probably kept going and like let himself react in a way that maybe he wouldn't normally like i think he was aware of the camera right no i think that's all but i don't think it was like Um, scripted like throw this at this spot or cry a tear at this line that's fair um i mean he doesn't he doesn't claim that he spent the entire year in that room uh, based on some quick internet research I did, it's like his pool house. Sure. So he was he like left there each day and went back to a very very comfortable life yeah. where he didn't need to pr- necessarily produce any art on a but deadline if that was to like make his money. Day job kind of thing. Seems like it. Yeah. I'm just mostly impressed that if he really truly did all that editing, the production himself, I think is the most astounding part of it. How? With I the, can't even, just with a phone half I of it, with the lights. I can't even edit a photo to put on Instagram. And the cameras, and the multiple angles, the and special like, effects. The white girl on Instagram. Right, so I was going to talk through a couple of the standout I ones. I was just that thinking that one was standout. It was funny, but it was also standout in terms of the editing for it. I do not right. know how he would have done that with just himself. Yeah, I think that's like uh, probably one of the strongest songs from the whole show um because it does have his kind of brand of humor and then he does the twist right because he gets to the point where he's like he then packs a lot of emotion into the the white girl's post yeah um so i think he plays both sides of it quite well there um facetime with my mom resonated with me quite <laughs> we a quote bit that for regularly sure. um like he definitely has his pulse on his his body on the pulse what do you say his finger on the pulse yeah that because you take a pulse like that makes this. more sense finger yeah. On the pulse. um here. yeah i mean we only watched a couple of months ago and i have to say none of the other songs like are jumping out to me for me it wasn't necessarily about the songs although some of them were very funny mm-hmm. um it was more just about the emotions that he conveyed like we've said i think he captured the experience of like some of it being like um absurdist humor kind of thing Mm -hmm. and some of it be like really depressing and some of it just being like i'm so fucking bored like i think he he did a very impressive job like running the gamut of do we figure out what a gamut is (laughs) wasn't that what i was asking the other day no you were asking it was another g word you said i forget what it was but it wasn't that are you sure pretty sure um so yeah you weren't i would think you would be annoyed by this by this special because it's kind of it's not really pretentious but it's very like artistry like it's like look at me i'm a suffering artist because i this i have to make art and look at me making art what what i didn't i didn't think it was about being an artist i thought Hmm. it was about trying to deal with the human experience of these past couple years and the way that he was doing it was through this project Mm -hmm. so for me it wasn't like i have to make art i'm going to suffer for my art it was almost the opposite it was like i'm already suffering and i'm going to try to turn this into art Mm -hmm. and i guess that's what i like respected about it was i felt like he was he wasn't like it wasn't like um what's my favorite 
Amy Poehler quote where it's like you don't have to fucking jump off that thing nobody's making you jump off that cliff (laughs) like he wasn't like manufacturing drama to then make a show about it felt like he was trying to turn like the trauma of the past couple years into something usable so that he could do his job like right I think he did feel pressure to make a new special because that's kind of his uh, that's his career right so he had to produce something um and so, yeah, getting back to the production uh, value of the whole thing, I think that was a an amazing success in terms of what he was able to produce um, on what seems like a pretty limited budget and limited tools. A very good voice was one of my other things. I was to me, he'll always still be the the puppets, the uh, the awful country singer kid from Parks and Rec. Oh, true, true, true. Um, I feel like uh, I do actually remember more of these, but I just don't remember the the title. Yeah. Of them. I think the titles are not helpful. There's the one, yeah, he's shows a lot of his underwear and like he's very open with Sexting his body one. in the. The the one for me that I remember was like. Oh, the picture in picture one was pretty trippy. Remember when he. Oh, that. Yes. Right. I the, love that you, he did the satire of yes. the fucking YouTube videos of people just analyzing a singer or something. That that was that was genius, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was trying to remember the other one. There was one. Where he, like, did a great the How the World Works one, I think. Yes. Where it was, like, startlingly self-aware. Mm-hmm. Where he was, like, the the puppet was, yeah. like, talking to him about, like, what, like, how the world really works. Right. And, like, I don't know. It was just a couple times he really just, like, hit the nail on the head of, like... Oh, he gets being it. Being yeah. white, a white content producer. And he multiple times throughout the show the self-awareness of why am i making this dumb little comedy and like i need to do this to process what's happening to me and to make content because this is my job but also like do i really matter in the context of this and what can what more can i be doing and like i think he i don't know i think he hit that nail on the head as well or threaded Mm -hmm. that line of um taking his job seriously but not so seriously that he thinks it's like the most important thing in the whole world yeah any final thoughts on that no i wish i had written down more notes when we watched it because i feel like i did have more comments about some of the songs and things but um he has like a very loyal following i never understand how people like i don't know i would call him like a seedless celebrity i guess have such like a passionate fan base it's comedians it has to be the something to do with like the feeling that they give you when you laugh right because like remember how crazy people were over dane cook i was just gonna say i've never ever (laughs) ever since i got past uh like sophomore year dane cook uh bonanza have i like connected with a a stand-up comic on any degree on any level really but yes we rode that wave a lot in uh in high school for sure yeah, I just... What even was about that? Ooh, we would, like, shit, listen to it at parties. It was like... Well, like, his Comedy Central thing... I don't even think it was explicit. So a little bit of it was, like, the albums were explicit. So you got, like, the swears, which was a little bit of Maybe. it. Because we were sheltered kids. I guess. I just remember... Um, like, it swept the nation. I... <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the first time I saw him do on the Comedy Central bit the um his his Catholic bits like about the holding hands and taking the <laughs> the cracker <laughs> the Jesus and like just 
I had ne- I don't think I had ever heard a lot of stand-up comedy, so like obviously like all stand-up comics understand the flow of a joke, but the way he would go one and then he would go and the Jesus and the then he just had like things lined up. It was the same reaction like you saw we watched um, right, we watched Kid Gorgeous with my mom over the summer and just like she put she couldn't even see the jokes coming. And like when we got to the bit about the night shirt <laughs> A sleep shirt. It's like, this shirt is three sizes too big for... It's a sleep shirt. What is this sleep shirt bullshit? And she's just losing it. Yeah. Like, you don't always get those moments. And I've gone hunting for stand-up comedy. And it's it's just not something that you can find all the time. I just think that that's maybe why <sighs> people have a more loyal following to them versus an actor. Or yeah. same thing with like singers or comedians. I think like something about the dopamine in your brain that mm-hmm. laughing or singing along or the feelings you get from it like connects yeah. you a lot. All right, babe, you're yawning, so mm-hmm. we got to keep this moving. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about Tick, Tick, Boom okay. next. Which you had given me a bunch of movie options that night, and it just jumped out, jumped, jumped out at me. Um... I didn't know what it was about at all. You didn't know at all? Not even a little bit. I I thought it was 100% fiction. I was getting it very confused with Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, freestyle something something. Oh, God, he's still doing doing that? At one point, they had it on Broadway. I thought Tick, Tick, Boom was the same thing as Freestyle Love Supreme, whatever. Wow did not know what i was getting into at all even as i i I clicked play even as you clicked play wow i knew a little bit more like oh it's like a musical theater thing because i've seen an interview with slim um and then only when it started talking was i was like oh that's the guy from rent and like i did not realize it was basically his biopic yeah i did not know that so i did not know what i was getting into okay jonathan larson i was gonna say andrew larson that was not jonathan larson as soon as that's why he says as soon as it popped up i was like oh he tragically died before the right right before the opening of rent i knew that speaking of like high school um obsessions obsessions with our crew of five thousand sixty five hundred six that's not the right what's the first number i got the first number right six hundred minutes um and this has like an extra confusing layer to it because tick tick boom is a show in its own right oh yes so, so what this is, like this the is, show about the show. This is a movie version of a show that John Larson, the creator of Rent, did in between his failed musical and the launch of Rent. Yes. Um, and it's partially about him trying to get his failed musical produced. Correct. But in the movie, yeah. In the movie, the movie gives of, you past tense and present tense. Yes, basically. in the movie, yeah. part of it is shown in as... In future, too, because it... Looks ahead to rent a little yeah. bit. Part of it is shown as Tick, Tick, Boom on stage and like the songs and the actors that are playing the different people and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then part of it is like meant to be real time, um, like him with his friends and whatnot. Yeah. Best compliment I can give this movie, two. Number one, it held my attention more than anything else I've watched in the past year, I would say. We had to pause in the middle for a screaming child, I think. Yes. And yeah. we came back and we were like, we'll just watch a couple more minutes. And we stayed up like an hour later than we yeah. meant to because there was like no place to pause. We were both yeah. very engaged with it. Mm-hmm. Um, My other compliment was it really made me want to buy an electric keyboard. Yeah, I put it on your Christmas Although list. then seeing um, 
in New Girl with um, Josh Gad, his weird late night musical theater about Earlier woodland today, creatures. You just said that you wanted to do that for I fun. I wanted to when act out. Bored. Yeah, okay. Instead of role playing in the bedroom, I just wanted to role play in the living room. Like Josh Gad and um, yeah. Jessica Day. Uh huh. So what's your what's your immediate review of the it movie? It was so depressing to me. It was I couldn't look away from it. Depressing. But it was if you didn't if he hadn't perished in the way he did, which the movie really doesn't get to that much. You still think would have been overly depressing. It was depressing because I knew that that's how it ended. As soon as it mm. said Jonathan Larson, I was like, oh, he was the writer of of um rent. rent and he died before the first production like that was the only thing i knew about him that was like the one tidbit <sighs> i knew so similar to um that movie the what movie black messiah movie yeah it was like it, it's hard to watch sometimes because like even the happier bits you're like this isn't gonna end well so you I, get why it's a limon well project though like why do you write like you're running out of time yeah, no wonder true. that plus musical theater like this. He was meant to produce this. Um, he, he did talk about that. He said yeah. he, there was some quote from from Lynn from an interview that said like his father in law watched an early cut of it and called him and said, "This is what your life is I like." I get you now, or something. Yeah, I yeah, get you I now. I saw that. Yeah. Um, I I found it just so sad uh, that he just never. He tried so hard and like sacrificed so much. And then the day before, it was, like, truly, like, gonna all pay off. Like, his dreams were coming true. He dies of something that was fairly preventable. I know. That part. That part leaves you devastated for sure. But that's not what the movie is about. The movie isn't about rent at all. But it's about hustling to follow your dreams. And then he never gets to see his dreams fulfilled. So, let's get into this a little bit more. We're talking about tortured artists. I think, to a certain degree, you could apply that here as well. And this is very... You could see how this became Rent. Parts of this became Rent. Oh, for sure. I think Lin-Manuel point... I think he hints at that on purpose. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, both his living situation and some of, like, the riffs and the lyrics and the... Just musically, you can see how his next project would have been Rent. Right. I'll be blunt on a few things. The Superbia show sounds pretty awful. I don't think I would have wanted to sit through that. Number two, how poor was he exactly? And his parents seemed like they were doing fine. So was he just too proud to take their money? The whole financial situation of, of his setup leaves a few question marks in my mind. Not for me. And you know why? Why? Lena Dunham girls uh-huh. it reminded me a lot of the situation oh, where like they've already asked their parents for money a bunch of times mm-hmm. and like their parents are willing to help them out but they're not willing to like pay their rent every month because that's yeah. really expensive like most parents wouldn't be able to like pay new york rent no i get it but when he has his electricity shut off in that scene, he says he has a credit card, so maybe he has other outlets. Yeah, in that scene, um, he said I can put it on my card, and they said. But in the nineties, I've been reading so much about. Well, back in the eighties and the nineties, you could survive on this type of job. Why? Why was he so destitute if he was working seemingly regular hours at a diner? Did he not make enough I to wage, babe? Okay, gets to my next point. I was setting myself up. Does this movie make you like or dislike New York more? It's a very New York movie. Neutral. Okay. It just confirms my dislike of New York for me. I, People struggling for no reason just to live in a crappy building for no reason. 
But he wouldn't be able to do his Broadway stuff if he was somewhere else. You think? Get the previews and Stephen Sondheim and I know. the actors and people. I don't think so. No. Um, I was mostly annoyed at the people in his life for not, like, understanding him. I felt like the girlfriend was being unreasonable. Uh, I His friend, I liked the friend. He was being a little bit shitty to his gay friend. But the girlfriend was just like, why can't you just pay attention to me? And it's like, he has this, he has work. See, I, I'm of mm-hmm. two minds of this. I, I'm not going to say that everything that um, the character of John Larson goes through, like, resonates with me. But I've certainly had those moments where I'm like, I can't talk to anybody else for the rest of the night. I need to fix this paragraph. Like, don't even look at me. I look hideous when I write, too. I'm, like, biting my nails. I'm, like, grappling. I'm, like... And do I say, let's move somewhere where you can't write anymore and you need to tell me by tomorrow? But if I had missed things or, or it was a constant, almost everyday thing, I think it could build up plenty of tension in a relationship. I just think it shows that they weren't meant to be together. Oh, definitely. was not, like, respecting But you have to craft. get that when he says, I just need tonight, I just need to work on this tonight. She's thinking, he doesn't mean that. He means he needs to work on it tonight and tomorrow and next week. And just because the showcase is next week, it's going to be another show after that. Which is the theme of the whole movie. There's you finish one thing, it fails. There's problem after this one. There's another book We've had those launched. moments when you've said, another... after this, you don't have to work on it as much. And I say, I'll try. Yes, and I have, I, have I ever given you an ultimatum to move to the Adirondacks with me? It was the, um, it was Massachusetts, actually, which is really what he should have been like. Is like, you're going to die in the Berkshires, girl. You're not going to survive there. Die of boredom. Going to Tanglewood every weekend. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm just saying that I felt like his... I understand. I get what you're saying that, like, if that's just like almost a personality trait of his at that point, yeah. that he's like unreliable and kind of scattered, that that's it would be I'm frustrating. Saying. But I just don't think that I felt bad for him that he didn't have more support. Like, isn't that the whole point of of having like a like minded group of, of peers that they like all kind of get what you're going through and support you? Right. And but that's I why I think like they set up her character in an interesting way. She was headed on that trajectory as a dancer then got injured and now she's trying to like patch a life together and they just didn't they just didn't fit in each other's worlds enough i get that i just i guess i like some of the some of the show was meant to be like their their you know tragic romance and i was kind of just like man they're not right for each other right i think yeah they probably could have cut a scene or two of them arguing or yeah yeah um but yeah for me i thought the best part of the show was the was the artistic route versus the business route because it's something that I'm very, um, I don't know, opinionated about, I guess, is I'm that... i caught in the middle of it. I don't think... I just don't think everyone who wants to write or everyone who wants to sing... I think it's very dangerous to think that you can survive on just that art or that in the have, modern world. Or that you have to. That you're yeah. not a true artist right. if you have... Like, he kind of was, like, throwing a lot of shade at his friend for getting that, like, fancy and the corporate like, schmuck I'm job. And not a good actor, man. And the friend was like, I don't want to just struggle for my whole Correct. life. So I, I, I kind of liked they showed both sides of it. Like, they mm-hmm. showed people who were trying to just, like, get out of the rat race and have a quieter life in terms of the dancer... Or just, like, have a more comfortable life for as long as they have in terms Mm -hmm. of the friend. Um, So sad that he ended up dying before his friend. Yeah, true. Um, Other big thing that stood out to me was, and this is probably um, 
just very shallow of me, but I assumed whoever wrote Rent had to be gay. I thought Jonathan Larson died of AIDS. Right. In my head. Yeah. Maybe I just assumed that. Yeah. Or conflated one of the other people within the movie or the So for me, uh, selfishly, I was so impressed to learn, and who knows, he was probably on the spectrum of sexuality somewhere, but to think to myself, here is a white, uh, seemingly straight-presenting artist who connected enough with his diverse world yeah that he created something that's so embraced by that whole diverse community mm-hmm. and never once have i heard well rent was written by a white straight man well i never heard that you know he wasn't pandering to anybody he no. wasn't just trying to get their money or trying to trying to token diversity to, yeah tokenize yeah. any of them it really seemed to be his group of friends i mean it, it, at least in the show is it showed that his best friend was gay and came out to him early on and mm-hmm. that he had friends of all different um, gender and spe- sexuality and race. And I think that is part of the New York melting pot kind of experience right. is that you do get exposed to a lot of different people that you wouldn't necessarily get in a smaller city or a different town. Yeah. Um, I've covered a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Andrew Garfield, amazing. He British did an accent, can't job. hear it. I'm, I know I'm so He's easily British. impressed by that. Absolutely. I always forget. Absolutely. Um, Why he would take on this role? You said he wasn't a classically trained musician or singer. I, I would not even have the ambition to do all of that for a 90 minute movie. I give him so much credit for being like, I know actors always, you know, sink themselves into roles in different ways, but. Just the amount of work and preparation, and he just takes on a whole different personality. Like, you can just, you can tell he's acting, but it's still very, very fluid and natural, I guess. Yeah, I was very impressed, especially when you kind of look at what the actual guy looked like and his mannerisms and whatnot. Like, Mm -hmm. it was, um, yeah, I I thought it was very impressive. I was Mm -hmm. just trying to look at the, like, the cast, um. Did we need Vanessa Hudgens? No. Definitely not. Hmm. Did um, like insinuate that he f- runs to that character, that maybe. woman That's after? What I but was trying. Mm. Maybe they uh, like cut something. Yeah. From it, um, when he he was supposed to like have a fling with her or something, I was trying to find the um. The part about um. Andrew Garfield. Um. The, the team set a production date in order to give Miranda and Levinson time to conduct research and for Andrew Garfield to take formal vocal and piano training. Yeah. So they they um, said they weren't going to produ- produce it for the, like 18 months to give them time to like do research and Man. write the script and stuff and to give Andrew, Andrew Garfield like a heads up to take vocal and piano training. <laughs> um, I was just trying to think of some of the songs the songs from it that we liked or didn't like since we kind of did that with Bo Burnham mm-hmm. um, the diner scene the, the scenes in the diner I thought were really well done mm-hmm. um, in terms of just the whole aesthetic of it the setting yeah. was really good I'm trying to find just like even though you only list. we only recognize like two out of twelve Broadway stars that came yeah, out in there I, that was gonna uh, that leads to one of my other comments mm. is that I think we weren't quite um, 
Broadway's we like, know Lynn is a, yeah he's a, like a super fan yeah. so I think there were some times when there were different nods like I know who Stephen Sondheim is but like there were definitely nods and cameos by other people that Stephen I Sondheim think. is dead so he didn't make a cameo but his voice made a cameo. Stephen Sondheim's not dead, is he? Yeah, he's the one Did who died earlier this die? year that all the theater people were devastated oh, about. Oh, he just died. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, I, I remember when we were watching yeah. it, I, as I've mentioned before, I like really struggle with things that are semi-autobiographical because I get really hung up on whether or not or semi-historical on like which parts are like quote-unquote true and which parts aren't. Yeah. But there was a, a story that um, Lynn shared that of Stephen Sondheim when he was still alive uh, got to see an early screening of it and asked him to change a couple of lines because he said I wouldn't say that mm -hmm. um, and there's a voicemail at the end of the movie that was Stephen meant to be like Stephen Sondheim calling Andrew Garfield's character and it actually is the true Stephen Sondheim right. that leaves the voicemail um, because he offers you that for Lynn because he said I think I can do something that sounds a little more realistic <laughs> than what you wrote um, so he actually records mm -hmm. something for Lynn. Um, so yeah, I think we we aren't quite like theater nerds enough to to fully appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, although, as we said, our uh, high school friend group certainly had a healthy respect for Rent. Yeah. Um, so we knew enough about Rent. Um, I was gonna say one more thing, and I just forgot what I was gonna. I was say. gonna say Tick Tick Boom. I don't like the name still. Yeah. I think it probably has more power based on the circumstances of his death but the lowercase t the, like there has a it has an ellipsis in it i don't like how it presents on as a title all right so we're going to squeeze in some book talk in this episode not to be confused with book talk book talk um we were originally going to podcast a night ago, so I rushed through the last quarter of this book. This attempt at a buddy read we did. It was not ever <coughs> explicitly meant to be a buddy read. So we're going to talk about Max Berry's latest book, The 22 Murders of Madison May. I never actually read your review, so I'm gonna, you, you give the summary and I'm going to sure. skim your review. First off, I try to avoid books that follow this title, you know, a number plus... A noun plus oh, I thought you were a gonna double say that are letter name. That, I thought you were going to say that are about parallel universes and time travel because that also bothers you. Yeah. All right. We're um, going to get into that. What other? What other? Oh, like like a hundred lives of blah 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 the blah. The seven yeah. deaths of, of Evelyn Hugo or the seven wives. One hundred and five lives of Henry. Lydia. Bird, They're all. The, it's a. It's a trope. It's a. You're thing. right. You're right. Now that you said it, I hear yeah. it. Um. Anyways, Max Berry's latest book. The setup is you're introduced to the story. Um, there's kind of two two angles originally. The opening chapter is through the eyes of Madison, uh, who is brutally murdered murdered at the end of chapter one. Spoiler alert. Uh, but really, the protagonist of the book is Felicity Staples, a journalist at a mid-level New York uh, newspaper who specializes in politics, uh, but sort of accidentally of. gets uh, pulled into a crime story, uh, the like aforementioned really murder. Accidentally. 
Like yeah. somebody's at lunch and Correct. she has yeah. to take something and kind of gets invested in it. So yeah, basically what happens is she gets intrigued by what happened to Madison May and sees a symbol uh, which links to a logo and ends up kind of getting involved. A little bit losty. Losty? Like all the, the symbols of the... Yeah. The, the, I don't know. The Dharma Corporation. Yes, you're saying? that's yeah. what I'm thinking. There's a little bit to that. Um, so she kind of gets introduced to this group of parallel universe jumping people, uh, and has to sort out who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. Are there any good guys? And why does Madison May have to die in each world they visit? That's kind of my intro to the book. Sure. So can I give my version of the summary? I'll pause I feel so like it you would go. Be different. Mm. I think my version of the summary is it's about um, kind of like a serial killer across mm-hmm. universes, and his target is Madison May, someone that he you you later learn like he came across in uh, one of the first worlds he jumped into and didn't know what happened and kind of accidentally jumped worlds and like becomes completely obsessed with her stalker but, ob- level, but obsessed yeah. stalker through uni- through the parallel yeah. the multiverse yeah um but specifically obsessed with like the version of her that he first saw in one universe and he literally jumps into like every other parallel universe to try to find one where she is in a similar situation and when she doesn't he basically Murders her murders for being her the wrong version. For being of the herself. wrong version of herself. Do they yeah. ever explain why she, why he leaves the first one? Is it because he thinks he can get her to like him in other universes? I forget what his first universe is. Um, I don't know if he could control his powers at that point. Yeah, because they said that he didn't really know how he was jumping right. worlds. Um, so I thought this book. Um, was the opposite a lot of, of a lot of books that I've picked up or read recently where the beginning like instantly hooked me. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of like a horror person, so it was a little bit on the line for me sometimes of like being a little too slashery. Most of the horror stuff happens like in between the chapters. But it's but, very slashery, I guess yeah. is what I'm getting at. But um I and was instantly hooked from the first chapter. I was kind of in between books. You had been mentioning that I should read this one, so I read the first chapter and I was like all right i'm in it was different Mm -hmm. from the other genres and the other types of books i've been reading recently and i it was kind of refreshing that it was a different tone a different genre and i was pretty hooked um and then my interest kind of waned throughout the book i think he loses the reader a little bit Mm -hmm. um as the pacing slows down Mm -hmm. and gets a little bit more into the morality of it and the mechanics of it Mm -hmm. and it kind of loses the urgency of the earlier chapters where it's like bam she's murdered bam someone's finding out about the murders bam someone else is jumping worlds bam trying to prevent the murder and then it just kind of slows down to the point where the climax is not so much a climax and kind of just like a slow fizzle you're absolutely right, which I'm surprised to hear you say because you gave it a B plus. I don't think what you're describing warrants a B plus, but that's a that's a side discussion. So yeah, the book has a lot of issues. Um, maybe I'll start here. I still really love Lexicon. When I went back and read it for a second time, I could kind of see some of the flaws of Lexicon. 
uh, with this book on the first read, the flaws were jumping out to me. And I just think that Max Berry did like almost everything right in Lexicon, and he just can't quite do the same trick here. Um, which isn't necessarily an insult to him. I read Richard Powers' new book, and I've thought about going back to his older books, and I now believe I'll probably come across the same thing, which is that, well, there's, there's merit to it, but you can only have one masterpiece. To defend myself a little bit, I hmm. will defend my grade. Number one, I think the, my, the pacing was one of my biggest issues with the book. Mm-hmm. I think I liked a lot of the other things about the book. And like I said, I, I mean, I grade very emotionally when I grade books. Yeah. I enjoyed the re- Probably experience. Probably because of how fast you read it, too. I enjoyed the experience of reading it. I did mm-hmm. read it fast, so I think... I read it in, like, two days because I was very invested. I read so it in I, ten days. I do think the pacing of it wasn't as much of a problem because I read it quickly enough that it was... It, yeah. it was hard for me to tell kind of when it turned to not being quite as enticing. By the time I got to the point where the pacing kind of slowed down in a problematic way. I was like, well, I just need to finish it. Right, you were still so, at a high gear, so it was, yeah. Yeah, um, I also, I think the it, the reading experience for me bumped it up. Mm-hmm. I also think that I read a similar book, excuse me, last year that people super hyped up and I really didn't like it. Um, it went too sci-fi for me and too, I don't know. I. I kind of liked that he kept it a more almost simple plot. He didn't go too much into like the science of it. He didn't like jump the shark with any of the plot things. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that it was... It was a very was, grounded sci-fi yes, book. Yes, and I appreciated that because I'm not a huge sci-fi reader because I don't always love um, the... The theoretical or the exposition or the theoretical or just like the whole vibe of sci-fi sometimes where it's like let's just give you 60 pages about the science or 60 pages about why corporations are bad or like i appreciated that it was like a murder mystery book that happened to like jump universes i thought he balanced pretty well like the sci-fi aspects of of multiverse and like the human nature aspects of it better than some other books I've read. The other book I'm throwing shade at is called In Between Worlds, mm-hmm. and it should have been right up my alley. Yeah, I remember you not liking it. And I one. really didn't. This book to me felt like a more adult, more like polished, pared down mm. version of that in a good way. Yeah, I don't disagree entirely with what you're saying, but I have some quibbles, kind of large, medium, and small. Largest being. Space Between Worlds. That was the one. Okay. Book Largest book, quibble being. Like, the setup of the book made me not care about what happened, right? Just like how I've ranted before about how a prophecy storyline disinterests me right away because it's either the prophecy has to come true or there is free will. And, like, there's no other nuance to that that struggle. Here, if you are claiming there are an infinite number of worlds, I almost lean on the side of the quote-unquote bad guys of this book and say well then no one world matters that much totally disagree each person matters that's like saying there's seven billion people in the world so each individual person doesn't matter no i think that's an extrapolation of what i'm saying that's not fair i'm saying that just because there's a large number of something doesn't mean each individual thing doesn't matter but then in the grand scheme of things why do we care about this one serial killer well, the the 
company or whatever, the mm-hmm. group cared about him because he was breaking all the rules. Yeah. Like they had specific rules for how not to like disrupt and make too many waves and things. And he was breaking all of those. Which gets to my medium quibble, which is I actually really like the character of Felicity, partially because I have a journalism background. So I am always a sucker for like a newspaper scene as like an introduction to a group of characters. And I thought Max Berry did a nice job with that bit. Um, and I thought, a, like, a journalist is such a great intro to any story. So much better than, I'm a struggling novelist, and here's my story about me trying to write a book. Like, I hate that. And it also, like, fed well into the plot because you weren't... there. It helped you kind of suspend your disbelief of how she would get into things Correct. or find out information. And a journalist, just by their nature, is, like, a little bit knowledgeable, but also not experienced in anything. So they're, like, a great... Um, the reader in general. Yeah, ally for the reader. I forget the word that I'm trying to say. Uh, a lens for the le- the reader, kind of. Um, but I really wanted. There's only really one chapter where you get into the secret group of universe jumpers, and you mentioned it in your review. I feel like there needs to be more from that group. Instead, you get a lot of Hugo, who's like a member of the group. But like Hugo was like the worst the character, I think. I just feel like we didn't... We only learned one thing about him over and over, which is yeah. that his wife was murdered. Yeah. It's a little bit like one-armed man, the fugitive. Correct. Um, that I... He was a little bit too one-note for me. Yeah. Um, I... I Yes and no wanted more about more of the secret society. Mm-hmm. What was that? The river... The... River of No Return? Yes. Mm-hmm. That, was that one buddy. had too much of the society and not yes. enough of the characters. From what I remember about that book, it was like overemphasis on like the rules and the mentors and like yeah. the like Victorian like society of it all. Yeah. This one it had not quite enough to be plausible. Like you, you Listen, Max Berry did it right, and I'm worried that's what his editors and his beta readers said was that he had more of it to the same degree he had it. Think about Lexicon. Mm-hmm. those gr- The great introductory chapters where the reader has no idea what's going on. Who are the good guys? The who are the bad guys? The, yeah. Who's in this group? Who's in that group? I worry he had a, a draft where there was more like that and his readers were like, you can't do the same thing twice. It kind of like, they like set it up with the symbol and the logo and then yeah. like you get there and then it doesn't matter anymore. The logo felt like so half-assed to me. The juice company thing. It was like... I was really, I was really intrigued in the first couple chapters. You realize that Madison's killer is like not just a typical serial killer. Felicity gets thrust into this. She ends up on the subway tracks and multiple she, times. And she's a great like portal fantasy yeah. conduit for the reader. Of like, I think part of the reason why I gave a decently high grade was her as well i really related she was very well written i really related to her i felt her struggles and her parallel situation with her home life i thought was a good kind of subplot she has a medium-term boyfriend who in every universe that she wakes up in is slightly different and max berry analyzes those and how she either falls more in love with him less in love with him and just kind of pigeonholes him in each universe thinking that he's has to be a certain type because of her first observations about him. My biggest question mark and struggle um, was with um, 
I don't really get what happened when she jumped to a new Thank world. You. This is the last big thing I want to talk again. about. So that was my biggest unanswered question. The Secret Society, I would have liked a little more development-wise, but it didn't really bother me. My The biggest, like, you know, wiggly tooth uh, thing that, that mm. bothered me is the... They basically said you erase the other person if you jump, and right. I didn't get that. couple things to unpack here. Yes, one, the whole basic... The whole kind of um, moral uh, theme of the book rests on the fact that you trust that when you leave one universe, you, the soul, the physical person, moves into the next. And so you, the you in the previous one disappears, literally. The people around you have no idea where you went. And the people in the new one, the person in the new one also then technically disappears you become them that part doesn't make sense to me so i understand that if you physically move to a different universe Mm -hmm. there's no you left behind because you are universe you are the you from universe x y 10 9 7 whatever but i don't understand specifically said there's no doppelgangers you will never run into yourself like the physics of how yeah like i guess i want to know like does your brain does your conscience just wake up in the body of the next yeah. person and like your body is like lost between worlds. I think this like, introduces a lot of plot holes. So one issue I had with all of this is um I mean, she wakes up in sort of the same place every time Felicity does, yeah. but it doesn't seem like a lot of other people do, especially not Madison. In each world Madison's life is on a very different trajectory. But I think that's kind of the point and why they liked Felicity as a jumper is that her life was stable enough. Interesting. Like she had enough like choices that were inevitable in her life, whether it was her personality, whether it was life. And I think that's why Madison was so interesting and so crafty. I really liked Madison's chapters. I mm-hmm. loved Madison's loved chapters. Loved the camp one especially. The camp one was it could have been a whole book. Yeah. A whole book of its own. It um I think to me that's part of why I found it interesting is that in Felicity's life was almost exactly the same in every universe right. and I didn't find that I to see be a what plot you're getting hole. At. I found that to be I, on I think purpose. he should have played that up more. I found that to be an intentionality that the mm. only thing that was different was whether or not her boyfriend had, had a beard. beard yeah. Whereas with Madison, she was in different cities, okay. di- completely right. different. I see careers, that one. I like that. And like the mm. foil Felicity was meant as the foil to like Madison. That. So okay. I thought that was... Number one random point. I was fully expecting them to fall in love. and Felicity they needed and to, Yeah, they needed to be gay together. Usually I'm the one saying that. Okay. ship them. Queer baiting. Um, okay, so this is my only logistical question. Does everybody jump to the same world, even if you don't jump at the same time? Are you always jumping to the next world to the east or west of you? Well, you wouldn't always necessarily jump to the same world because they made the point that you, your physical thing has to exist in each world. So there could be worlds where like Hugo's thing didn't exist in the same world that Felicity's did. So that's my big issue. So they never lost track of, yeah. of, I keep forgetting his name. What's the bad guy's name? A Clay. Clay, right? Clayton? Yeah, sure. Uh, they never lose track of him. I think, yeah, I I think I wish they had played that up a little bit more, not in terms of losing Clayton, but it would mm. have been interesting if Felicity jumped to a world that Hugo couldn't access and vice versa. Right. I think they were trying to get at the point that, like, 
there are so many very similar universes mm-hmm. that um, they were all only jumping to ones that were very very similar because Clayton would only want to jump to one that was similar enough that Madison. But there's no existed. indication that you can pick where you jump. I don't think so, but no. I I guess I'm picturing it as you're talking as like kind of like a file cabinet kind of thing where yeah. like they're the next one in the layer and the layer and the layer. It's if very you think um, of, interstellar review. Yeah. Um, I'm just going back to what you said about kind of the morality of it. And I think this is why the world jumping question bothered me. So they're in theory trying to like prevent more like ripples through the multiverse. Mm -hmm. And Clayton like disrespecting the rules basically and going through and brutally murdering her over and over is creating ripples and creating gaps and fucking things up. Mm -hmm. Isn't disappearing yourself just as bad as someone else being murdered that's a very valid point i mean you think about other shows and media that have done a disappearing person like if you're driving a car if you're an airplane pilot like you can cause a ton of fucking destruction if clayton and madison are jumping through uh, clayton's jumping through and killing madison Mm -hmm. that's two people in each universe that's being disappeared if you have seven members of the society jumping through each time that's nine members of each universe you're disappearing in 21 universes the like all of their extended networks are just grappling with a disappearance yeah um okay my other big thing is there's no time travel in this whatsoever correct correct so you you already asked me about this and i think you're worrying too much about it but no i think i have a different point now there's a lot of like convenient timings of a lot of things to me it seems like felicity always wakes up in the new universe which doesn't seem to be true for the other people until you get to the last chapter the last chapter in particular the last chapter takes place mostly in los angeles Mm -hmm. clayton clayton we believe only jumped maybe a couple of hours before felicity yet in that time he has traveled to L.A. ahead of her, ahead of Madison, and gotten a job as a valet driver and figured out where she's staying and doing all... In every single scene of hers, Clayton has so much information about where Madison is, what she's doing, and I just don't think it yeah, lines they, up with that. They implied a couple times that he was jumping well ahead of them mm. in order to, like establish himself at different places but that doesn't work once the chase is yeah you're getting at what i'm getting at well i don't know so she talked about be only being able to jump at certain times Mm -hmm. which i think make that's why the overnight thing didn't bother me because she equated it to like a bus schedule where it was like you could jump at this time this time this time or this time yeah so i just kind of assumed that they were jumping like she always just kind of caught the late train yeah, if you will. but you're with me but, that like in in madison's chapters it feels like he's been there for weeks yeah and i think i'm saying i think earlier in the book they were implying that he like mm-hmm. before they got closer to catching up with him he was jumping like he would kill her and then jump and then they would have to find her wait mm-hmm. for the next time wait for the like convene and yep. jump but yeah you're right that it doesn't make sense in some of the later ones that he would be able to like establish himself so yeah. well and just as i think of it overall like the first couple chap- chapters are so intriguing but once you understand the premise the only question in the rest of the book 
is when or if they're going to shoot so Clayton. They just need to kill him one time think, and everything is over. I think when the book picked up a little bit for me and why I thought it ended on a decently strong note is that, um, I guess spoilers here if you're going to read this book, um, when they purport, purportedly solve it and Felicity's not supposed to jump and she does. Yeah. And then she finds out that their solution is just letting him have her. Yeah. Which I get from the society. Ugh. They're meant to be morally gray. Um, so then she goes to try and step in and then Hugo stays and whatever. Yeah. Um, that's when it picked back up for me because I was like, okay, you're not doing exactly what I thought. Like I wasn't sure yeah, how he was going to A little end bit of it. a zag. Yeah, a little bit of a zag enough that it kept my interest to be like, okay, now I'm going to like, you know, pick up the pace to see how yeah. the book ends. The My biggest and maybe only complaint with the ending in terms of like satisfactoriness is I don't know that I buy Madison's part in the ending. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give like exact spoilers, but like, I don't know if I buy her like kind of trust or change of heart that leads her to that action that kind of winds everything up. To me, it seemed a little too convenient. It seemed a little bit like he maybe had a different ending originally. Yeah, and the final two him. chapters I just don't think were written that well in terms of the action. And I admit I was reading quickly with purpose in mind, but I just thought the stage directions and the the expo- the exposition that each character had to give themselves to explain why they were where they were and doing what they were doing, it just felt a little clunky to me. I know that we were. Um talking earlier about how sometimes being like too close to the craft of something ruins it a little bit like Mm -hmm. but this was a case i think where especially since we've been working on your other book and editing it where i was like he changed this ending this was not the original ending he probably had like either six more chapters how about a twist where madison has actually been jumping ahead as well like there's just you just seem like there could have been some more twists whether with the love interests or the sci-fi elements of it I thought there was just the right amount of twists for me. Hmm. I overall was satisfied with the ending, but I did think it was like a little clunky. It maybe didn't quite sell me enough. Yeah. I wanted a teeny bit more about the secret society to know whether I should be like angry at them or not. And I wanted a little bit more of Hugo's backstory so he wasn't just kind of like a cardboard cutout of an angry man. Yeah. Like I kind of wanted a little bit more of his backstory. Last hot take. I don't think it should have been set in New York City. I think I was clouded by knowing that Max Berry is a shout out to Melbourne, Melbourne, local resident. Chicago. It should have been set in Chicago. Like Chicago's a perfectly vague, just city. It didn't feel like a New York book to me. Speaking of Tick, Tick, Boom, and yeah. Right. There's another connection that we drew between these. Yeah. New York just seemed convenient. Right. I definitely think it could have been set. gritty enough. I think it could have been set in Chicago just to be like a generic city backdrop without Mm -hmm. being new york yeah sure all right i think we hit on all my notes i think my c plus is fair i gave providence his previous book a c which was a true attempt at just straight sci-fi that was as bland as it gets like just as average of a book as i've ever read this had a little bit more of the max berry kind of spirit to it but i am worried that in the editing process he lost like a little bit of the magic of this what this book could have been Max Berry is um, close personal friend. No, he's not. Um, I one time corresponded with him. I should have asked him to be on the you podcast. You have his private email address? Himself. Possibly, actually. 
Possibly. And his actual physical address, I think. Oh, was it a nice neighborhood? No, he mailed it, but he, right. he mailed it with a return address on it. Like, I think he mailed it from his right. house. Yeah. yeah. Um, do I have this? I do. His email address? Yep. Cool. It's probably like at maxberry.com because he's like a web yeah. developer as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's not hidden. Um, all right. I think we I think we nailed those segments. Any upcoming stuff aside from bedtime? Just rereading my Max Berry correspondence. <laughs> um, upcoming things. Um, Disenchanted, a sequel to Enchanted. Is that the one where Amy Adams yes. is a frog? It has a frog and stuff. Uh, chipmunk. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, looks a bit strange, but I'll watch it. Patrick um, Dempsey doesn't have to be in it, still does he? Mm-hmm. Oh God! Come on. <laughs> Uh, Put that the was, man down. That was, one, that was one that recently I was like, oh, I would watch that again. Couldn't fucking find it anywhere. Oh, I just found it's on Disney Plus, I think. It wasn't. Oh. I was upset. Um, also, there's going to be more Orphan Black. No, speaking, there's not. Speaking of shows that like the ending wasn't oh that great God. and they didn't quite know what they were doing, Orphan Black Echoes. Oh, God. No details about what it's going to be like or anything, like what the plot is, but. I have so many thoughts about the world of television, and for personal reasons, I'm going to bite my tongue. Um, yeah. Is that it? Um, Dinosaur Dana. That's, well, that was my other <laughs> intro that I was going to say. I was going to say, call it Dana Likes Dinosaurs. What's it actually called? Dinosaur Dana, I think. That's the full name, Dinosaur Dana? It had like a colon title or something. We found the, we found the series version of this morning. Of it this morning, Dino, and Dino. our son said, "Not enough dinos in the series version. <laughs> Turn it off." Uh, so it was originally a movie, and then they made it I into think. A... same girl. I think she gives one hundred and ten percent in every scene. These kids, these anyone who acts against a green screen, always has my admiration. It was a follow-up to Dino Dan Trex Adventures. Okay, I did see Dino Dan as well. They're Canadian TV this shows. This is a new final okay. segment of our show, Dino, which is Bad Kids Crap. Dino Dana, the movie. That's what we came watched out yesterday. in 2020. Yeah. The television series. I'm trying to figure out if the movie was first or the series. I think the series. The series was first, I guess. Oh, okay. And then it was Dino Dana. The series premiered in 2017, and then okay. Dino Dana, the movie came out. Yeah. Um, Four seasons. It makes a little more sense of why there was zero explanation in the movie. Yeah. Uh, It was basically, I would call it like a more kid friendly Jumanji mixed with Jurassic Park. Yeah. Where like the girl has a magic book where dinosaurs come alive, but only if you're like, only if you believe in them or something. Like like the Polar Express of Jumanji. Right. But like these dinosaurs like whip you up in the air. So either like there's some acrobatics that are happening in the real world or like your kids are in danger both yeah um i don't know our son loved it it was kids running around and Mm -hmm. dinosaurs and only like mildly threatening scenarios like not enough to like make him upset it's a very Um, emotional kid there was a whole lot of things about blended families and step siblings a lot like a lot to the point that i was confused as an adult yeah blended in a lot of different ways Yeah. yeah okay is that our last note for today? Dino Dana the movie? Um, who knows when we'll podcast again, but we'll, we have we have a list this time. We're I've got four along. books on my Kindle that I just transferred that you've read, so that's going to be material. See us uh, 
It's coming soon. Next Tuesday? Next Thursday? <laughs> See you next Tuesday? I was just going to say, like, coming at you on a regular schedule coming up, maybe, but that sounded oh, too God. ambitious. Probably not. If you made it this far, as always, thank you for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. Have a great evening, morning, afternoon, whenever you're listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace out.